uh, called Deep Talks with Jesus. Uh, last week I joked about we could call it Detox with Jesus if we wanted to. Uh, when you have a really deep talk with Jesus, it, it, uh, it does the same thing as a detox. You start to get uh, aware of maybe the toxic thinking and, and things that you've allowed into your heart and mind that aren't, aren't in line with his will, and he starts to change some things. And so we're in this series, Deep Talks with Jesus, which is focusing on John chapter 13 to 17. And this is probably the most extended conversation Jesus has with his disciples that's recorded in the scriptures. It is a very uh, extended conversation where Jesus digs into some things that are very relevant for you and I today. And this week is a a little bit of a part two. Uh, Last week, we talked about Judas And this week, we're going to talk about Peter. And these stories come back to back. And last week, we talked about how Judas, he had this, like, he nursed a secret sin under the surface. And by the time it was exposed, it was too late. It was tragic. And we don't have any indication in the story of Judas of there being redemption. It was a tragic ending. And then you've got Peter... Okay, so the very next story in in John's gospel, after Jesus has this interaction with Judas, is the story of Peter. And Peter is different than Judas in that Peter, and and the the title of this week's sermon is, is Peter, the public sinner. Okay, Peter, the public sinner. Whenever Peter messed up or did something wrong, it was very public. All right, and I just want to, and I didn't plan this, you're going to think that I did. Um, but, but I didn't plan this, okay? I didn't plan to make a mistake. But last week during the sermon, I misspoke two times, okay? And I was actually, I was challenged on two things that I said in last week's sermon. Uh, one of them, last week, I, I hinted at Jesus not knowing who was going to betray him until around the supper time. And the reason I talked about that was because, um, obviously, when Jesus was born as a baby, he didn't know everything. You know, Jesus is fully God, but he's also, he's fully man. And so at some, like, and we, we see all this evidence in scripture of Jesus uh, coming to a deeper understanding of, of who he is and realizing all of those things. And I hinted that um, he may not have known who was going to betray him until around the time it happened. And somebody pointed out to me that in John chapter 6, it actually says <laughs> that uh, at the very beginning, Jesus knew who would betray him. Okay? And so I just wanted to say that. I, I, I misspoke when I said that. And, and secondly, I made a reference uh, to a king named Jehoshaphat when actually it was a king named Hezekiah who did what I said. And so if you're interested in like, the details of that, you can, you can look that up. But I, I, it's kind of a, an example I was thinking about like this week. I was like, I need to make sure that I, I say those things publicly because I, I did get a couple of those things wrong. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. Um, but it's also a good segue into Peter's life where what he did, if you, if you are a public person, then the mistakes you make tend to be very public, okay? Uh, if, you, if you live your life in such a way where you want to influence other people or you're called to be a pastor or in Peter's case, you're called to be an apostle, um, then the mistakes that you make are often apparent for everyone to see. And uh, that can be difficult at times, but it can actually be a good thing if you can respond well uh, to some of those things. And I, and I want to say here in this context, um, I've been encouraging us as a congregation to be Bereans. Um, and if you don't know that reference, it's from Acts chapter 17. But there are a group of people that Paul preached to 
who actually, whenever Paul would preach a message, they would go back to the scriptures and say, is what he's saying true? And, and I've encouraged us as a congregation to do that. Like, when you listen to a preacher, me included, um, listen for what God is saying. God often speaks through people that preach and open up the scriptures. But you've also got to realize that those people are humans as well, okay? Um, myself included, in case anybody didn't know that. I am a very human, okay? I just want to be very <laughs> So, and I've often told people, like, like, don't just take my word for it. Like, if I'm saying something that's not in line with Scripture, go back to the Scripture. That's the, the authority that we, we rely on, and it's really important uh, to do that. And so uh, I was actually pleased that I had a couple people come and point those things out to me last week. And, and I would encourage you, as a practice, like, g- dig into the Scriptures and, like, God, what is it you're saying? What's, what's true? And, and listen for what he's saying above even what other people say about him. That's, that's super important. Um, and I want to I tell one more story to just start this off. And I'm going to put that quote up on the screen that, that was up there a second ago, Megan. Um, Be secretive about your good deeds and transparent about your sin. This is one of the main points from last week. And it carries over into this, this week as we talk about Peter. Be secretive about your good deeds and transparent about your sin. Uh, you know, the examples I gave um, are examples that I can get up and I can, can tell you those things, and, and probably nobody's going away from here saying, well, you shouldn't be a pastor, right? Or maybe some of you are, okay? But, <laughs> but probably no one's going away saying that. But, but sometimes the things in our lives that we engage in that are sinful would actually disqualify us from ministry, and it can be really messy. And having those things exposed can be really difficult. In Peter's story, when I read Peter's story, I don't know about you, but I think, God, this is the guy you chose to be, like, the leader of the church? Like, we're going to find out in this story, not only does he deny Jesus, but he's in the courtyard where he denies Jesus, and he's, like, cursing and swearing, invoking curses on himself. This is the leader of the church. Like, what would you think if, after our service today, you saw me at the Max parking lot, and I'm just cursing and swearing and invoking all these curses on myself. Like, would you think, that's a good pastor there, <laughs> right? Like, or denying Jesus. Like, you know, if I preach this sermon today, and then you see me over in the Max parking lot, and I'm, like, talking to a group of people that don't like God or want anything to do with him, and I'm like, oh, I don't even know Jesus. Like, pfft, wouldn't have anything to do with him. Like, would you think that was something that would probably disqualify me, right? <laughs> like, that's kind of stuff that we're seeing in Peter, and and that kind of stuff happens in, in people's lives on a regular basis. Um, years ago, before I went to Bible school, I was a part of a church uh, where one of the staff members who was full-time staff at this church, and it was a large church. They had a couple different locations that they'd meet in. Um, and one of the staff members who helped oversee finances and different things for the church um, ended up having an affair. And it became public knowledge because it happened with somebody else who was in the congregation and it was messy and so she'd had this affair and the person that you know was having this affair with was also in the church both married couples and this when it became public it was super awkward and and the most and I I will probably never forget the the feeling that I had being in the room um, because the Sunday following when that information came out um, this person came to church with their spouse. And, and the reason that this is etched in my mind, and I'll probably never forget it, is because the sermon that Sunday 
had to do with like adultery and infidelity. And it was planned months in advance. Like it wasn't like the, the, the pastor didn't go, oh, this crazy thing happened, now I'm going to preach on it to make things worse. I think the pastor actually really struggled to go through with the message that, that was planned for that day because it was so awkward. And, and I was sitting a few rows back from the front, and I remember this person coming in that this had just come out about. And the person came in, and you could just see shame all over. And the person came in with their spouse, and, and it was just a really an awkward moment. It was like you could cut the tension in the room with a, with a knife, if you'd have had a knife in there. You, like, you could actually feel the tension. But the end result of this story, there was redemption. And you know, you know what would have been a sadder end to that story? Is if, if this had gone on in secret and never been exposed until this person was standing before Jesus. Do you know that? And I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe that's, that's, that's something that you'd wrestle with. But, but I just want to ask the question, like, do you believe that this is true, to be secretive about your good deeds but transparent about your sin? Do you think it's, it's good when sin is exposed? Or would it be better if it was just hidden and under the surface and nobody ever found out about it? When I, when I think of that story, I actually rejoice that that truth was revealed because today this couple is still married. They've worked through this. They have children together. They have a family together. They have a life together. And this, this like horrible thing being brought to light was actually, the end result of it was good. It actually bought, brought restoration. It was a good thing. But in the moment, it was really awkward. It was really tough. But what I believe from my study of Scripture is that when things are, are brought into the open, when they're tra- and I don't mean always public, okay? So just, just to, like, settle you a little bit, if you've got this crazy secret sin, I'm not looking for you to stand up and shout it this morning in front of everybody. Sometimes sin like that is exposed. But, but what I am saying, okay, so I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is if God is, like, working in your heart, if you've got this, this sin or this, like, struggle that's, like, beneath the surface that no one knows about, then it is good to confess that. And we're going to see that in the story this morning, but all through Scripture you see evidence of that, where that confession actually leads to freedom. So I'm going to read uh, John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38, and then, uh, and then I'm going to read in two other places, a couple uh, in John 18, where Peter actually does deny Jesus. And so we're going to read about Peter's denial, and then we'll read about when he actually does it. I'm going to pray before we, we read, because my, my desire this morning is that you would hear Jesus, and that if he's speaking to you about something specific, that you'll, you'll take action. That it's not something that you'll just go, oh, yeah, it sounds right, but it's something that you'd, you'd take action on. So let's just pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, when we go to your word, we often are challenged. It's, it can be uncomfortable. It can be convicting. But Lord, your desire for your children is always restoration. It's always wholeness. It's always shalom. That's your desire. And, and so I just pray, Lord, that even if you're making us uncomfortable this morning, that you'd reveal to us that we can trust you. And that when you ask us to do some of these things, like confessing, like being transparent, um, that your, your purpose in it is always good. It is always for restoration. It is always for peace. And so I just pray that we'd hear you this morning and that you'd speak to us as we look into your word and as we learn about Peter and his relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is right after 
the interaction Jesus had with Judas that we talked about last week. So John chapter 13, starting in verse 31, says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet, and, and Jesus sometimes speaks in mysteries to his disciples, okay? You'll start to, to realize this. He's talking about going to the cross, which none of his followers understood until after it happened. He says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus has just finished washing the feet of his disciples, okay? And then he has this interaction with Judas, where Judas um, is about to go betray him, and Jesus says, what you're going to do, do quickly. So Judas leaves the room, and then as soon as Judas leaves the room, this is what Jesus is saying. He's talking about going to the cross, like where I'm going, you cannot come. But then he says to them, just as I have loved you, that's how I want you to love each other. And so the fresh example in their minds about what Jesus is saying is the foot washing, which Judas was present for. It's actually quite mind-blowing. Like he's saying, just like I just did, this is how I want you to treat each other. And when they think back to that scene, they realize like Judas, the betrayer, was even in the room when this act of love and service was being done. Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to treat each other. And it's important that Judas was there. So then in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And I'm just going to skip over to to, uh, chapter 18. I'm going to read about Peter's denial. So Jesus goes on, has this conversation with the disciples, and we're going to be spending our next few weeks really invested in this conversation. But after the conversation, right at uh, Jesus' arrest, we're going to read about Peter denying him. So chapter 18, verses 15 to 18 says this, Simon Peter, and this is after his arrest, followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And then skip down to verse 25. It says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are are one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So Jesus prophesies to Peter, you are going to deny me. And this is just after, by the way, Peter had had told Jesus, like, I'm willing to die for you. And if there was ever any doubt that Peter was willing to die for for Jesus, uh, in the part that I skipped over, so there's a big section in there, and you can go read about it. When Jesus was arrested... Do you remember what Peter did? Anybody remember? 
Anybody remember at Jesus' arrest, Peter does what? Pulls out a sword. Yeah. Cuts off Buddy's ear. Um, so somebody had pointed out to me, I was talking about this, I don't know if it was this week, I think it was, I think it was earlier this week at our prayer time, but Peter was probably going for the guy's head, right? You don't often just like aim for somebody's ear, <laughs> right? And so, so at Jesus' arrest, Peter pulls out his sword and goes for someone's head, cuts off his ear. Jesus rebukes Peter, right? And, and heals the guy's ear, and then Jesus allows them to arrest him. So Peter proves what he said. He was willing to die for Jesus, right? We, we know from another uh, passage in Scripture that the disciples probably only had like a couple swords amongst the whole group. And so this band of soldiers arrives, and you've got Jesus and his disciples with maybe two swords, and Peter pulls out a sword. Like, he knew that the likely, if they actually engaged in battle, he was probably going to die. So he, was, he showed, like, he was willing to die. But what, but, so what does Jesus mean when, he's, when he says, to, like, he challenges Peter, when Peter says he's willing to die for him, and, and Peter uh, gets challenged by Jesus, and Jesus points out that he's not willing to lay down his life. He's willing to die fighting, but he wasn't willing to lay down his life. I'm going to get into that, and I want to, I've got one point for this sermon, okay? So you might be excited at that. You're like, wow, we are done. <laughs> we are almost done. I, this is the, the one thing I want to really um, encourage you, challenge you to chew on, has to do with this uh, being publicly called out for sin. So the one point is this, public sin followed by correction and heart change, leads to restoration, okay? Public sin, followed by correction and heart change, leads to restoration. And when I, when I say public sin, all I mean is sin, uh, something that is done in front of other people. When you make a mistake, when you do something that's wrong and it's clearly wrong and it's done in front of other people, if it's followed by correction and then heart change, it leads to restoration, and, and a lot of us would probably attest to the fact that when you make a mistake, lots of people are willing to call you out on it, right? You ever done, you ever done something wrong and people point it out? Anybody ever have that experience before where you, like, do something and people are quick to point it out? So what I'm not saying here, I'm not encouraging, like, uh, calling people out in a condemning way and a condescending way. And the best illustration I can think of that illustrates this is in the world of sports. So if you, if you are uh, playing on some kind of an athletic team and you mess up, your opponent is probably going to point it out, right? And they're going to laugh and they're going to say, like, oh, what a mess up. You see it all the time. If you watch football, if you watch hockey, if you watch anything, when, when an athlete makes a mistake, somebody who's not on their team will often point it out and they'll blame the loss on that person. Oh, if that goalie had played better, they would have done well. If that forward, you know, had a, had a pass when he was supposed to, they would have scored and they would have won the game, right? Or in football. You just think about it. Like, most of the time when public mistakes happen, people's, they get pointed out for it, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of pointing it out. Think about, now continue thinking about sports for a second. When your coach comes and points something out, their purpose is not to shame you. It's to challenge you to become a better athlete. And I just want you to know, like, as we talk about public sin and correction, when Jesus points something out to you, he's not like the opponent that's pointing it out just to make you feel bad or to, or to make themselves feel better. Jesus is coming alongside because he's like, I want you to grow and become more effective, bear more fruit, become more like me. 
He's more like the coach. When your coach comes, and sometimes coaches are hard. They'll say hard things, and it's difficult. But their whole goal is to make you better. And that's the purpose. Like when Jesus points something out, his goal is to make you more like Christ. Okay, so I just want you to know that when we talk about sin, I'm not talking about condemnation or, or making, making people feel bad. Um, that is not what is in the heart of God. And so back to Peter. Uh, what, what was Peter's sin? There's, there's lots. I, I made a short list of things that we see in Peter, and this is just collected from reading the Gospels. But Peter was, was jealous. You can read about Peter's jealousy of the beloved disciple. You can read about that at the end of John. Peter lied. He lied. And this, what we just read, he lied about whether or not he knew Jesus. Peter was angry, right? When you pull out a sword to cut someone's ear off, like, there's probably an anger issue. Would you agree? You wouldn't be like, oh, you're just, you're frustrated, <laughs> right? Like, there was an anger thing. Peter thought he knew better than God. We see evidence of that. In, when he's trying to correct Jesus for what he's doing, he thought he knew better than God. Peter was also a people pleaser. We're going to get to that in a minute. And so in this passage that we read, I just want to drill down on the question of, of what was Jesus pointing out in Peter in what we just read? When Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me, what was he pointing out? And I, I alluded to it earlier. Peter was willing to die fighting but he was unwilling to lay down his life. So I, I also referenced this last week, but I want to remind you of it. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus starts to tell his disciples that he's going to go to the cross, none of them are okay with it. They, they all wanted a deliverer who was going to deliver them from their current political situation. They saw Jesus. They're like, he's a miracle worker. He can speak and the crowds listen. And, and we want to rally behind him and we want him to set us free. And you think about the things that we want to see Jesus do in our lives. You know, the, the freshest example, we think about the, the recent lockdowns that happened and, and there's all kinds of talk in the church about like, if Jesus were here, this is what he would do. This is the stance that he would take. And we get so focused on the here and now, our current political situation and what we believe Jesus would do in that. And, and similarly, in those days, when, when Jesus was talking about the cross, his disciples are like, no, what are you talking about? You don't just go die. And so in Mark's gospel, and you've got to read chapters eight and nine, it is like the climax of what's going on in the life uh, of Jesus and what, the, what it means to go to the cross. Peter rebukes Jesus uh, and says, you can't go to the cross. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Right? So Peter shows, like, he's willing to die for a cause. Peter wanted to see Israel set free. He wanted to see Israel set free from Roman oppression. He wanted to see things in his current life situation change. He was willing to die for that. And what Jesus was asking him to do was not to die fighting for this cause, but to lay down his life. It was crazy. When Jesus calls out on the cross, he says, he, he's, he's on the cross, he's just been nailed there, right? He's got nails in his hands, he's, he's, he's naked, he's dying in public shame, and, and the very people that the, it, the Jews hated, the Romans, had nailed him to the cross. Jesus is on the cross, and what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. Like, he laid down his life, and he asked God Almighty to forgive the very people that were doing the things that so angered the Jewish people, that angered the disciples like Peter. 
And, and Peter just couldn't, he was willing to die fighting for a cause. If Jesus was like wanting to rally a group of people behind him so that he could be the Messiah, so that he could be the deliverer, Peter would die for that cause. He had his sword out, he was ready to go. But what Jesus said to Peter was, Peter, you're going to deny me because you can't accept what it is that I'm calling you to do. And what Jesus was calling of Peter and what he's calling of us is like, is, is to love radically and to be willing to lay down our life for the sake of the gospel. And what Peter didn't understand that was so clear in, in the gospel after the fact is that Jesus' goal, his purpose in coming was to make it possible for people like me and you to have a relationship with God. And so if Jesus had not gone to the cross, it would be impossible for you and I to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, with God Almighty. Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, like, I'm actually going to deal with evil and with sin. And the way to do that is to die willingly. And he was inviting his, his followers, his disciples to do that. And Peter just couldn't associate with this weak savior, with this like willingness to die. He just didn't get it. And it's interesting, there's hope because Jesus actually tells him, he's like, you know, you don't understand it now, but later you will. Jesus prophesies. He's like, you're going to get it, guys. You don't understand it now. You don't understand what's happening now, that it's bigger than just what's going on in our current cultural moment that I'm doing what I'm doing for the sake of the whole world, even the, even the Gentiles, even those Romans that are going to nail me to the cross. He, they didn't understand. And Jesus said to them, you'll understand it later. You know, Peter was actually one of the first Christian martyrs. If you study church history, Peter was crucified very similarly to how Jesus was crucified. He did get to the point where he was willing to follow Jesus and lay down his life. But in that first moment where he's, where he's denying Jesus, he, he wasn't there yet. And so Peter was willing to die fighting, but he was unwilling to lay down his life. And, and before I delve a little deeper into Peter's sin, I just want to ask you and I that question. Like, I think probably a lot of us could relate with that. There's causes and things that we'd be willing to die for, that we'd be willing to stand up and, and shout through a bullhorn about. And sometimes what Jesus is actually asking us to do, we don't want to do that thing. Like, we wouldn't be willing to just lay down our lives or to love sacrificially or to do something that we would consider just absolutely shameful. Like, Jesus was saying to Peter, like, sure, you're willing to die. You're willing to die fighting and fighting for a cause, but are you willing to die to self? Are you willing to die to your own desires of what you desire to see? Like, are you willing to lay that down? And when I think of Peter, it's pretty easy to look back and criticize him. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know about you, but he's someone that I relate with. Because there's been things Jesus has asked me to do that have been really challenging and difficult. Apologies that I've had to go make. Or, or acts of service to people that I just felt like, I, they don't deserve it. I don't want to do that. And you know, Jesus is more pleased with something like that than when we're willing to die uh, on some soapbox for something that we're passionate about. And, and sometimes soapboxes are important. Sometimes we stand for causes that are really important. But what Peter's being challenged with here is, these, is, is Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me. You, you think you're ready to die for me, but you don't know what that means. You don't actually know what it means to lay down your life. You don't know what it means to be associated with me. Peter had a habit, a habit of of public sin. So uh, I, I referenced it already. The, if you read the different 
There's four different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew, Peter not only denies Jesus, but he's like cursing and swearing in the courtyard and calling curses on himself and, and just doing all kinds of, of crazy things. And it's all public. This stuff gets written about for like the next 2,000 years, right? Can you imagine being Peter? He's like the guy God used to really start the church. And for 2,000 years, we point out this poor guy's weaknesses and, and foolishness. But you know what I've, I've noticed in Peter, and getting ready for this message, like Peter actually had a habit of public sin. So, and this is, uh, and I'm, I'm convinced that Peter was ashamed. So after Jesus is arrested and he's being tried as a criminal and all those things, Peter's ashamed to be associated with him. So we read the passage where Peter denies knowing Jesus, right? There's this shame. He doesn't want to be associated with him. And he's probably afraid if he confesses in the courtyard to knowing Jesus that he'll be brought in where Jesus is and potentially go through the same things. And so he denies knowing him. He lies three times, right? And so he's trying to maybe please the people around him or to, or to keep up appearances in some way. But you know what's fascinating? It's like 25, 30 years later, Peter does something really similar. Okay, so in, in the book of Acts, um, God moves in Jerusalem. So after the resurrection of Jesus, the, the disciples, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. They start prophesying. They start proclaiming the word of God in boldness. Like God is doing this amazing thing in Jerusalem. It's incredible, Okay. And they're kind of huddled in Jerusalem, and they're not listening to Jesus. Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the good news, right? But they're staying. They're huddled in Jerusalem, including Peter. And then God, like, Paul comes along, and he starts persecuting the church, and, and the church in Jerusalem scatters. They go all over the place, okay? And this is the first time that the, the, what Jesus told them to do starts getting fulfilled, okay? So they go, and, and wherever they go, they start telling people about Jesus. And so there's a place called Antioch. There's a few different cities, but Antioch is like, the first place outside of Jerusalem where there's a major move of God. Okay, you can read about this in Acts. So, so the, the, the churches, the Christians scatter, they get to Antioch, and they start telling people about Jesus. They're like, you've got you've to meet this Jesus. He, he came and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and he made a way to have a relationship with God. He rose again, and if you, if you put your faith in him, you'll be filled with his Holy Spirit, and God will give you hope for eternal life, right? And, and this happens in a place called Antioch. It's incredible. God is doing such significant things to Antioch that a guy named Barnabas, one of the top leaders in Jerusalem, gets sent there. And then Peter goes to Antioch. And this is where, and this, I'm going to tie this back to Peter's public sin, okay? Peter gets to Antioch, and there's a whole bunch of Gentile people that have put their faith in Jesus. And, and you've got to understand, and this is hard for you and I to really wrap our minds around because we don't get the, the difference, but for Jewish people, Gentiles are like the enemy. If you're not a, if you're not a, uh, a Jewish person, it means you're a Gentile. And Jews would not even eat with Gentiles, okay? It would be a disgraceful thing. It would be shameful. And so what's happening in Antioch is there's all these Gentiles, non-Jews, that are accepting Jesus. And God's doing this incredible work in them, and it's amazing. Peter gets there, and he's caught up in it all. He's like, wow, God is at work. The, the scriptures tell us that Antioch is the first place where people are called Christians, so Peter's there, he's excited, he's pumped. There's Jews and Gentiles, they're mingling together, and this like dividing wall that was breaking down race and ethnicity had been broken, and these people are coming together in an amazing way. You know, we, we think racism is something we struggle with today. We do. You go back into biblical times, there was, there was similar struggles. Like, the, the, the divide between these two groups was huge. And so Peter gets there, and he sees Jesus at work in Antioch. It's amazing. He starts eating with all these people, and then... This is, this is like another public sin of Peter. 
influential Jewish Christians from Jerusalem go to Antioch to see what's happening. And all of a sudden, Peter's like backs off and he stops eating with the Gentiles. He won't do it. He's like, oh, I'm not doing that. He's ashamed because of the people that were around him. You can read about this in in Acts and in, in Galatians. And so he pulls back. And Paul, in the book of Galatians, calls, and this, and this reason this is important is because even after the resurrection of Christ, like Peter's been set into ministry, and he still has this struggle with like pleasing people or giving into shame. He pulls back, and in the book of Galatians, cha- Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes about it, and he calls Peter a hypocrite. He says Peter was, was falling into hypocrisy, and he was even leading Barnabas astray with him. And Paul publicly called Peter out on his sin and said, you, like, before all these influential high-profile Jewish preachers got here, you were fine with what Jesus was up to. But now that they're here, you're afraid. And you're afraid of what they're going to think of you, and you're being a hypocrite. And so then Peter, again, he's publicly called out for his sin. And you know what blows me away is that, like, sometimes we read the Bible, and I don't know about you, but but we, we look at a guy like Peter, and then we see what happens on the cross with Jesus, and Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches a powerful sermon in early in Acts, and 3,000 people are saved, and we just think, man, God just did something amazing in him, and he's totally redeemed. But, like, 20 years later, you see Peter, and he's got a similar struggle. He's still giving into shame. He's still, like, afraid of what people think, and he backs off, and he, he won't eat with these Gentiles. And Paul, the guy that's like kind of underneath Peter in some ways, calls him out and says, you're being a hypocrite. Public, I'm going to put this up on the, the screen again. Public sin, followed by correction and heart change, leads to restoration. Before I close, I'm going to show you a video, and I'm going to be vulnerable with you. So I, uh, a couple weeks ago, one of my professors asked me and two other guys to record a five-minute video that he could use. Um, he's going to be speaking at a, a university that I went to on the East Coast, and he's talking about accountability. He's talking about being in a group where you confess your sins to each other. You pray, you work through it so that you can become more like Jesus. And he asked us, and and the two guys you're going to see on the video with me are two guys that we've been in accountability uh, for the last 10 years. And, uh, and we're talking about how important that is in ministry. And so let's just, we'll play the video, and then uh, I'll, I'll close um, with an application. Yes, recording. Boom, you're on. Well, hey, uh, hey Kingswood folks. Uh, my name is Jason, and I'm a pastor in Nova Scotia at Coastal Church. And I'm Nathan Mastery, and I'm pastoring in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And I'm John Gorbett, and I'm pastoring a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan called The Center. Yeah, we just uh, wanted to hop on here. Uh, Dave had asked, Dr. Smith had asked us to share a little bit about um, accountability, which is something that is a huge part of our lives and something that was instilled to us while we are at Kingswood. And Nathan and John are two of my accountability partners. And uh, we just want to each, like, kind of answer the question of, like, um, how impactful this means of grace is in our lives. And I like the use of the language means of grace because God has incredibly used both these men in my life in profound ways. Um, And it's been for every season. And it's not just been, like, we think of 
maybe accountability groups and we think merely confession and heavy stuff, but it's actually so much bigger than that. It's all of life. Like these guys regularly ask me about my life, my kids, my wife, my family. Um, John and I, um, this past week, we shared goals for the entire year um, with one another and uh, the things that we're hoping to do. Um, if I'm going through something conflict related, I'm calling these guys. I'm asking for prayer. We share the deepest hurts, the challenges we're up against in ministry. We also do confess and are vulnerable when we miss the mark and fall short and hold each other accountable. And uh, these two guys are my best friends, um, and they love Jesus. And uh, I just can't imagine, can't imagine uh, doing ministry without them. Like it just, it, it, to me, it's like a necessary for ministry. And uh, so that's just a little bit from my perspective of the means of grace it is. And in a minute, that's all I can share. But um, it's just been incredibly, incredibly impactful. Yeah, I would agree with Jason. So when I was at Kingswood, so Jason, John, and I were all at Kingswood in and around the same time. And uh, bands were something that was really emphasized for getting into accountability groups. And it was really valuable for me while I was at Kingswood. But I would say even more so afterwards. This is something that I've kept up into my ministry. And like Jason, I can't imagine not having accountability in my life. Uh, I'll just share one story that kind of will show you why it's so important and why it's important to me. So there was one time a few years ago I confessed to Jason that uh, I have I have a tendency to be passive-aggressive with my wife. And so uh, my wife and I, we're coming up on 18 years of marriage. We've got six kids. Uh, and uh, if you're married, you know that it's a challenge to have a healthy marriage. And if you're not married, just know you're stepping into a, a challenge. And so I was struggling with being passive-aggressive. I confessed this to Jay. A uh, couple days later, we were all hanging out. So me and my wife and Jay and his wife. And I said something sarcastic slash passive aggressive to Vicky. And Jay just called me out on it. He was like, bro, you just confessed that you're not going to do that anymore. You're not going to have that attitude. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And, and it was like, it wasn't one of those things. It wasn't condescending. It wasn't condemning. It was motivated by love. And it really convicted me. Uh, and it just helped me become aware of where I'm weak and where I need to grow. And uh, that kind of thing has happened over and over again. It just helps me become more like Jesus. So it's a story that illustrates why I think accountability is so important. Yeah, that's awesome. I would say the same for me. I mean, we were just talking earlier that I'm coming up on about 10 years from when I graduated at Kingswood. And I can look back over those 10 years and see that there, just like Nathan said, there were a couple of relationships that I formed at Kingswood. Uh, the fact that the three of us are talking today is because the last 10 years, we've all been in accountability relationships uh, for those that 10-year period. And I would say on, on some level, there really isn't, we're talking about holiness, there really isn't holiness apart from accountability. <laughs> like you can't really be holy in a vacuum. It's in relation to other people. And so to me, I've actually grown and transformed. Like the power of the spirit has been realized in my life through other relationships like guys on this call and like other students and friends from, from my time at Kingswood. So I would agree with the, these men. I mean, it's, it is one of the most valuable things personally, but also vocationally in terms of being strong in ministry for a long period of time. So I'm grateful for those points to, share with you and hopefully uh, you take some things away from it as well.
So uh, that's how I want to close today is to remind you that public sin followed by correction and heart change leads to restoration. And again, uh, to remind you, I'm not encouraging public sin in the sense of like, hey, tell everybody what's going on. Sometimes that happens. And the stories where I shared where that does happen, I think it's been good that it happened now instead of later. The scriptures tell us very clearly, we're all going to stand before Jesus someday. And so it would be better for things to be exposed now so that we can surrender to him, turn from those things, receive his forgiveness, rather than nursing it and keeping it under the surface, and then it leads to a disastrous end like we saw in Judas last week. And so, so public sin, I'm, I, for some people, things are public, but probably for a lot of us, maybe the things that come to your mind this week as we talk about it are things that maybe nobody knows about, or maybe the people that know about it, you haven't invited people to pray with you. Maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't confessed some things that you need to confess that would lead to restoration. The funny thing about this video, so I filmed it a couple weeks ago with these two friends of mine for this uh, speaking engagement that's coming up this week for my professor, but I went home, so you heard the story I shared on there that um, years ago I'd confessed to my friend Jason about being sarcastic and passive-aggressive with Vicky, so I'm sharing all this, and all I was thinking in my mind was, well, this, you know, people are going to see this video and it's going to look like I'm this really vulnerable person. But I was just remembering, I felt like lately I've been more sarcastic. So I went home to Vicky and I asked her about it. And she's like, yeah, lately it has been more. And it was this convicting moment for me because I'm like, I'm just, I'm confessing, you know, on this little video, something that God was doing in me years ago. But I'm struggling today with some of those tendencies and temptations. And it was similar to Peter. Like, you know, I I had the professor that's actually showing this video. He told me one time, he said, don't, he said, if you don't live the sermon, don't preach it. He's like, you got to live the sermon before you preach it. And this week has been a reminder of that where, you know, I was thinking about this video and I was thinking about what I shared and confessed. And it, again, it was something that I had to have a conversation with my wife about. But if I didn't, and this is the, the challenge I want to give you, is like we can ignore some of those things that are in us that we know are wrong, are sinful. And we could just kind of like ignore it. But it hardens our heart. It actually leads us away from this, from intimacy with Jesus. But when sin is public, and I don't, again, not public necessarily to everybody, but public in the sense of you confessed it to somebody, there's an opportunity for correction and heart change and restoration. And my encouragement, my challenge to you is, do you have those kinds of relationships in your life where you would confess those things to and experience heart change, and restoration. Peter did. Peter is often pointed at in a critical way um, because of all the mistakes that are so public, but what I see in the life of Peter is, is restoration, and the work of Jesus is absolutely amazing in Peter's life all the way through, and that's what gives me hope about Peter is like he, he, he experienced Jesus like he weeps bitterly. If you read the other gospel accounts, like when he realizes what he's done to deny Jesus after the rooster crows, like Jesus said, Peter just weeps bitterly. In the gospel of Luke, wherever Jesus was being held on trial in that courtyard, he could see Peter. Because in the gospel of Luke, as soon as Peter denies Jesus for the third time, 
Luke tells us that the Lord looks at Peter. So you imagine you've got Peter, he's standing around this fire, and for the third time he denies even knowing Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus and him make eye contact, and he just weeps bitterly, and he's just, he like, feels horrible about what he's done. But then at the end, and we're going to get there at the end of John too, there's this amazing restoration where Jesus just does this incredible work in Peter to restore him. But then years later, 20 years later, when Peter's a church leader and he's struggling with some of the same things, he's called out publicly. But you know what I believe was going on there is God was still restoring his heart, still doing things. But because it was public, it was able to be called out. And then the heart change happened and then restoration followed. I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with, with a couple songs. And, and I don't know how this is hitting you. I don't know what the Lord is, is, is convicting you of. But my encouragement is to, is to actually put into practice um, this, this process of confession and, and bringing things to Jesus and allowing him to be at work in your heart um, because he loves to restore. and He loves to do incredible work in, in the lives of people that uh, are willing to submit to him. Let's, let's pray. And we'll close with these, these couple songs. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you for how you often speak to us. You challenge us with, uh, with, with things that are not always easy to hear. But Lord, your grace is so incredible. And Jesus, what you did on the cross means that there's hope. It means that we can actually even boast about some of the things that that have been wrong because you've restored us. We can say, this is, what I, this is what I was, this is what I struggled with, but this is what Jesus is doing. And so, Lord, would you give us the boldness to take you serious? Would you give us the boldness to, to confess some things, to deal with it, to bring it out into the open so that it can, be, it can be dealt with, turned from, and we can experience your restoration? We love you, God. And I just pray your blessing on each person here, and as we go from this place, that uh, there'd be a real special sense of your peace and presence in Jesus' name.